0: 9, if you have a Bible, you can um, open there. It's where we're going to be camping out this morning. Low Deber, it it was a name of a place that really didn't mean a whole lot to anybody. (laughs) I mean, the name literally means no pasture or or nothing. (laughs) I mean, if you're looking for the top 10 places to live, it didn't crack that, Okay. And really, nothing happened in this sort of desolate, dusty town that was noteworthy except one thing. And it was it was back in the day, and, and you know that people in this town told this story over and over and over when the great King Saul's reign came to an end. And, and King Saul's house was, was cleared out. There was only one heir that survived. One heir. He was only a few years old at the time, five years old at the time. And as they escaped uh, King David's men coming in to set up shop, as they escaped, um, this one man, uh, the person carrying him sort of dropped him and he fell and, and he broke both of his feet. They never reco- recovered and, and he was crippled for the rest of his life. And the one thing that happened in this sleepy little town of Lodiber was that a guy by the name of Mephibosheth moved into town. And he had to know that the whole town knew him, and the whole town knew that he was sort of hiding out. He was sort of on the run because King David, at some point, someday, would come to his senses and decide that he wanted to get rid of every other threat to the throne. And so, and so, as the people in the town looked over the hill and they, they saw the king's men riding on horseback to come into their town, low debur, no pasture, nothing here, they knew that they were only coming for one reason. And as the king's men came in and they gathered the whole town together in a town hall sort of meeting, it was no surprise to anyone there that the name that came out of the king's man's mouth was Mephibosheth. Where is he? Bring him to us. And everybody had grown accustomed to this man. I mean, he, he wasn't wealthy. He didn't own any land. He didn't own his own home in the city. He was, he was needy, and people probably loved him and helped to provide for him and help make a way. And so as they loaded Mephibosheth on the king's horses to carry him back to Jerusalem, they said goodbye to a friend that they never thought they'd see again. Because King David finally came to his senses, obviously, and was going to put an end to the threat to his throne that this crippled man in this corner of his empire posed. And so they sent him away, and as the cloud of dust disappeared on the horizon, so did their hope of seeing their friend again. Only that wasn't the reason that they came. See, see any normal king, that's why they would come. To get rid of the threat to the throne. But not King David. Not King David. Would you open your Bible with me? 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. and We're going to start in verse 1. Read 1 through 3. It says, And David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Now, you need to know, and maybe you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about David's relationship with Jonathan, that, that they pledged on covenant that they would be good to each other's descendants. And so David decides, I'm going to make good on that promise that I made to Jonathan, that, that covenant. And the word here, kindness, is in the same word in verse 3, and the Hebrew is the word chesed. Will you say that with me? Chesed. Yeah, it's sort of fun. You get to clear your throat a little bit. And it, means, it means covenantal faithfulness. Covenantal love. And almost every translation I looked at said kindness. It's a little bit of a a weak translation of that heavy word because what David says is, I'm going to make good on covenant. I'm going to show my love and display it in a way that's visible. Verse 2. Now there's a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they called him to appear before David the king and said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. And the king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I sh- can show God's chesed, God's kindness? See, this isn't just David showing David's kindness to Jonathan. This is David displaying for you and for me the covenantal kindness of God. This is bigger. This story's is bigger than, than David and Mephibosheth. And in verse 3, it gives us that subtle hint that it is. We're going to keep going. Verse 4. Where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodeber. Literally, no pasture. Nothing. The place that he got sort of brushed off to was in the corner of the empire on the east side of the Jordan River and did not have a lot going for it. It was a a desolate place. (laughs) A place where... The king's grandson definitely wouldn't live unless he was hiding from something. And so King David had him brought from Lodeber from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. And can you imagine what that day might have been like from Ephibsheth? Your covers blown. The place that you are is finally out, and the king calls for you, and the king brings you into his courts, loads you on on his horses or his donkeys, and brings you that whole way, that whole journey to stand before you. It's a beautiful story. It really is. And my hope and my prayer this whole week is that it would capture your heart a little bit, because as we said before, it is the story of David and Mephibosheth, but, but it's more than that. See, this story isn't just the story of David and Mephibosheth. It's the story of of you and your great king, Jesus. See, because let me just big picture. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Mephibosheth is, is in the line of royalty, but he is not living it at all. In fact, he is cast away as far away from the place of royalty as you can be in a desolate and dry land. And the king comes and the king rescues and the king brings Mephibosheth back into his courts and he showers grace and mercy down on him. See, this story is a picture of the gospel is a picture of God's pursuit of you and don't miss it. Don't miss the fact that Mephibosheth is unable to get to the throne of God on his own. He needs the king to come and bring him there. That's grace. That's grace. See, the story of Mephibosheth is your story. It's a story of the gospel. I love the way the uh, great pastor, Michael Horn puts it, and he says, the gospel is not good instructions. Sorry, you're not going to leave here with a how-to or a step-by-step list of anything. If that's why you could come, well, you probably stopped coming here a long time ago, if that's what you come for. <laughs> but then again, who is that ever worked for anyway? Yeah, okay, yeah, I didn't think so. Um, not good instructions, it's not a good idea, and it's not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. A declaration of God's grace and his mercy and his goodness. And if you get nothing else this morning, get this, that grace does not wait for you to come and knock on God's door. Grace comes and finds you in the most desolate, desperate, dry situations and brings you to the throne room of God that's Mephibosheth's story. That's my story. And if you know Jesus, that's your story too. And so we're going to look at that story through a little bit of a different lens this morning as we look at King David's grace to a man by the name of Mephibosheth. Continuing, 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 6 says this and when Mephibosheth son of Jonathan the son of Saul came to David he bowed down to pay him honor it was really customary for anybody coming into the presence of the king to bow David said Mephibosheth your servant he replied don't be afraid stop right there stop right there Uh, listen Mephibosheth had every reason to be afraid For all that he knows, and the reason that David has to tell him, don't be afraid, is because he's afraid. Because David sees fear in Mephibosheth's face as he bows down. He maybe even trembles as much as he's able to bow down with his legs in the shape that they're in, and he lays prostrate before the king, and David's first word to him is his name, which is significant, but his second word is, don't be afraid. Fibushefs, I'm not out to get you. Actually, ironically, I'm not out to destroy you, but I'm out to promote you. I'm not out to get you, but I'm out to elevate you. I'm not out to end your life. I'm out to completely change it and give you a new lease on it. And so he says, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, many people encounter God in the same way, where, where they just absolutely tremble and fear. Listen to the way that Isaiah it records it as, as he encounters the king on his throne. He says, woe to me, I cried. Woe to me, I'm, I'm, I'm ruined. I'm, in the Hebrew, it's I'm toast. Okay, maybe not, but it could be, could be. Loose translation. I, I'm done. I'm over. This is the end of me. For my eyes have seen the King. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. And you see, here's the deal anybody who encounters God not through and under the blood of Jesus, this is the interaction they have with God. Woe to me. But did you know that under the grace and mercy of God, you are completely clean, completely righteous? completely holy, not because you're awesome, but because God has redeemed you and saved you. The Bible says that he, Jesus, became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God. And and so, so many of us live under this guise and and this just weight of, God, I need to be afraid of God. I need to fear what he's gonna do to me. And I think God would say to us this morning, is that grace from the king, grace from King Jesus moves us from fear of God to enjoying his presence. Moves us out of the realm of, oh no, God, what are you going to do to me? But the scriptures actually will say to you and to me that you can approach the throne of grace boldly to find help in your time of need. Boldly to find grace and to find mercy. Here's the way that Isaiah records it it says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. So whenever God speaks, it's a, you just should listen. That's for free today, okay? So this is him speaking. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've summoned you, I've called you by name. I went and got you out of Lodebur, out of no pasture, and I brought you into my courts. I've called you by name, you are mine, And so in the same way that King David says Mephibosheth's name, so does the king of kings and the Lord of lords say yours. Not so that you'd live in fear, but so that you'd live in freedom and in his presence. I just don't think a lot of us get it, though. I think a lot of us live under this weight of what's God going to to do to me? Is he really for me? And does he really love me? The other morning I was was reading my Bible and my son Ethan was sitting next to me and he says, Dad, I like the Bible you're reading. And I said, thank you. And it doesn't have as many pictures as yours, but same content. And he says, it says you're going to get a spanking because you're so bad. I'm like, one, where did you hear that? And two, how many of us have that same perspective of God? That he's out to sort of get us, waiting for us to to screw up. But you know the king says to you, hey, 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 and he calls you by name and he looks you in the eye and he says, do not fear. I've called you. I've redeemed you. You are mine. I tried to, to sort of follow my heart this week and the reasons that I'm often maybe scared or, or afraid of what, God thinks of me. Here's the, the three reasons that I came up with. One, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that God is still holding me accountable for my sin, that He's got some checklist and He's like, He's keeping track. Uh, here, here's the thing, friend you are, you are not on the hook anymore for anything that Jesus hung on Calvary's cross for. It's over, it's finished. He said it on the cross. The scriptures say there's no condemnation. So how long are we gonna keep going back to God and saying, God, I know that my sin separates you from me. And, I'm, and he's going, what are you talking about? I hesitate to even bring it up because it's probably the most famous sermon given in America ever. But Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the, Han- S- Sinner- Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, It is true for those who don't know Jesus. But for those of you who are followers of Christ, a better sermon to hear is probably saints in the hands of a happy God. (laughs) Because it's true. It's true. Completely holy, spotless, blameless before the throne. Are we still trying to earn his acceptance or will we rest in the gracious mercy of Jesus that he's given to us freely? Or are we like Mephibosheth thinking that He's just out to get us, or he's frustrated with us, or or disappointed, or if our view of God is him up in heaven going, can't believe Paulson again, we're wrong, because he knew it all when he hung on Calvary's cross, and so he says, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Continues. Don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you chesed, kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always, circle that word if you have your own Bible, underline it, star, star, highlight it, whatever you do. I will, you will always eat at my table. Now that's good news from Mephibosheth. Because he was renting a room from some guy in a town called No Pasture or Nothing, and he's transferred to every single night you're eating at the king's table. And you know what they never wondered at the king's table? Is there going to be enough food? Is there going to be enough for me? Because there was always more than enough. You see, here's the truth of the matter, friends. Is that grace from the King moves us from a position of need to bountiful provision? King Jesus says to you, and he says to me, there's always enough. I love the way that the pastor um, Chuck Swindoll puts it when he says this that's the way that grace operates. It doesn't look for things that have been done that deserve love. Grace operates apart from the response or the ability of the individual. Grace is one-sided. I repeat, grace is God giving himself in full acceptance to someone who does not deserve it, can never earn it, and will never be able to repay it. What a beautiful picture of the grace that flows from our God. Never wanting, never in need, never wondering where meaning in life comes from. You'll notice that if you go back and you read the story that not only is Mephibosheth provided for physically, not only does he have enough food, but he's invited to the table. He's invited to be part of the story of what King David does. He gets to participate in the discussions. He maybe even gets to give a little advice if he's feeling bold on certain occasions. He's a part of it. You see, that's what grace does, friends. Grace doesn't only provide for you enough to eat. Grace provides for you life to live. And when it flows from King Jesus, it doesn't just make a place for you to eat at the table, but it makes a place for you to be satisfied and know that God is good and gracious and merciful to you. And here's the truth of the matter. That's what grace did for all of us. It took us from scraping to survive and get by. And it placed us at the table of the King jesus and one of his interactions with with a woman at the well um he has this talk around this well about water and he says to the lady hey if you knew who i was you'd ask me for living water and her eyes glaze over a little bit like never had that before don't know what that is is that like Evian? i don't know <laughs> and, and look at the way that the um, conversation continues Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, and he probably holds up a little bucket, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. She's probably going, yeah, that's a great deal because this is a long walk and I have to do it in the heat of the day. And thank you for finally showing up, water boy. Indeed, the water I give him will be in him. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, I satisfy. I'm not, I'm not running out. I don't run dry, and in fact, I'm going to be in you. It's not that you have to go and get water, and that water will never run out. In fact, it's totally different than that. It's a well in your soul that bubbles up, and it satisfies, and it sustains, and it's enough on the hardest, darkest days of your life. That's what he says. It culminates in eternity, but it starts today. That's his invitation to this woman. That's his invitation to us, is our, is our soul full by the grace and mercy of the king. Um, the story continues. Verse eight. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Not exactly a picture of self-esteem, The king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and your family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's Grandson of your master will always eat. Notice he says that a few times, always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 12 servants. So he restores his family's land. which is is key. And then he says, Mephibosheth, I know that you're physically unable to work it on your own. And so what I'm gonna do for you, Mephibosheth, is I'm gonna provide for you somebody to go work your land every single day. And what they're gonna do is they're gonna bring the bounty of provision that comes from your land and they're gonna bring it back to our table together. Now, here's the thing. Having somebody work for you is hard, isn't it? I mean, I am, when it comes to home improvement projects, I mean, Kelly can tell you this, I'm the biggest idiot in this room. Not a bigger idiot here. It's me, okay? So when our, our pipes started to leak and we had to call somebody, you know, when they, when they get there, I'm like, hey, can I get you a shim-sham to help fix the, fix the riff-raff? <laughs> no? How about, a, how about a cup of lemonade? <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Thank you, water boy, right? I mean, that's me, <laughs> And it's hard for me. That carries over into a lot of areas of life. It's hard for me to just have people work for me. I want to get in there. And I want to, isn't the American way? Let's, let's work at it. Let's get our hands dirty. Let's, if we work hard enough, we can climb the ladder and we can do enough in order to make it. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not the way you make it in my kingdom. The way that you make it in my kingdom is by not working. It's by, it's by showing up. In fact, I think Mephibosheth is a perfect picture of you and I because when it comes down to it, we really aren't that effective at working on things anyway. He's a a picture of me. I know it. I know it. And we want to earn and we want to feel good about what we've done, but that's not the way grace works. Grace says you're unable crippled can't do it on your own and you're welcome anyway come to the table you see grace that flows we go back for me grace that flows from the king moves us from an attitude of earning to a posture of receiving Grace that flows from the king moves us from an attitude of earning to a posture of receiving. And you see, here's the deal. Here's what I would have loved to have read in the story of Mephibosheth. I would have loved to have read that Mephibosheth gets to be a part of the ki- David's kingdom and that the longer Mephibosheth is there, the better his legs start to work. And I would love to read that the end of the story is that God heals Mephibosheth. I would love to read that. I would love to read that God's Holy Spirit falls on this little palace and this little town and completely restores Mephibosheth's legs. Here's the way the story ends, 13. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. You see, the story ends with, Mephibosheth is still in need. It ends with him still wanting, yet completely satisfied, and completely provided for, and completely okay. You see, the healing doesn't physically come to Mephibosheth, but it does come because every single need that he has is met. And every single want that he has is satisfied. And he dines with the king. See, his legs aren't fixed, but he's healed because of his proximity to the king. The king provides for him everything that he need could need and more. See, apart from the king, Mephibosheth is still crippled, but in his courts, he's healed. He's healed. See, I think we love the idea of grace and we hate that we need it. And we hope that someday we're gonna grow out of our need for grace. Dallas Willard says that saints burn grace like a 747 on takeoff. It's like, they're not people that need it less, they're people that use it more. That approach the throne more. And I think that in his proximity to the king, Mephibosheth is healed in that he never lacks anything. He never wants anything. He's always completely satisfied, completely healed, completely taken care of, even if he's still unable to walk. It is similar to what the interaction that Paul has with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through really 9, it says this, Paul writes, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Paul's like, I've seen some awesome things and it could easily go to my head. So God gave me a gift. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. It's a gift from God delivered by Satan. Figure that out, we don't have time for another time. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Hey, don't you think Mephibosheth probably had that conversation with God somewhere? Is this enough? C- can, you, can you fix my legs? I know you're powerful enough to take me from Lo Deber to the king's table every night, but are you powerful enough to fix these legs? But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. He says, you're healed. Not in the way that you wanted to, but in a way that actually allows the power of God to flow through you like you could never imagine on your own. Paul, you're never going to lack. You're never going to be in want. You're never going to wish that you had more because you are completely covered by the grace and mercy that flows from the King. And in your proximity to Him, in your connection to Him, you are healed. It's sufficient for you, His fullness is sufficient for you. God says no to His physical healing, but He says yes to His provision of grace. And, and isn't it true that, that you and I are, are often like Mephibosheth in, in that if, if we are healed, probably the first thing we do is we leave the king's presence. And so maybe the most gracious thing God can do for you, maybe the most gracious thing God did for Mephibosheth is allowed him to stay unable to walk so that he was clinging to the presence of the king whose grace was sufficient, whose table was always full of food, who never ran dry, who was never in need, who never said, I want anything. And he said, you're staying by him and he's gonna provide for you and he's gonna be enough for you. In many ways, in many ways it's better for mephibosheth to be unable to walk in the courts of the king than it is for him to be skipping around outside of them it's so a part of god's grace to him and to you and to me as he draws us closer through some of the painful things in life he draws us closer through some of the hurts he says, come on, come deeper. I know I know it stings and I know it hurts and I know it's not what you choose, but what I choose is that you stay in my courts and you know that my grace is sufficient for you even in the darkest days. And so I'm gonna heal, but it's not in the way you think. I'm gonna heal by being enough. How's that? And you stay with me and my table never lacks. love the way that the great author speaker teacher puts it, Beth Moore, she says, I would never have learned to walk with God on healthy feet had I never experienced sitting at his table as a cripple. My emotional and spiritual healing has come from my approaching God in my needy state and believing I was his child worthy of his love. That's exactly where the story continues. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, catch this, like one of the king's sons. I mean, that's like he's not just invited to the table, he's invited to the family. He doesn't just get to eat the food that's left over. He gets to participate in the conversation. He's invited to be a part of it. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. You'll notice as you sort of walk through this passage, the the picture that it paints of Mephibosheth. I mean, first of all, his name literally means one who scatters shame. One who, when people come in contact with him, what they see is shame. I mean, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is my story. My story is defined by my lack. I think that's what you would have heard Mephibosheth say before. My story is defined by what I don't have, by what I need. And in it, he refers to himself in this passage. He says, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I mean, my guess is that Mephibosheth did not have a tattoo of Jeremiah 2911 on his arm. He wasn't going, I know the plans you have for me, Lord, and they're good. Not that that was written at the time, but that's irrelevant. (laughs) I mean, he's not a guy going, my future's bright and my God is good. He approaches David, he says it two times in this passage, your servant, your servant, and by the end of it, he's not talking about being a servant anymore, he's talking about being his son. And see, you and I on our own are left to approach God like like a servant would. God, what can we do for you? Can we provide enough, can we be enough benefit to you that you would invite us to a place at your table? And his answer is no, you never could. You could never provide enough benefit to somebody who needs nothing for them to invite you to be part of what they're doing. And so he doesn't call us because we're great and we have it all together. He calls us because just like David made Mephibosheth one of his sons, so does the grace and mercy of God do for you. You see, grace from the king, it moves us from servants into sons or daughters. It changes our identity. It's not people who are full of shame anymore. It's people who are redeemed by the king, prized possessions of his. And it's not a dead dog without a future anymore. Mephibosheth has a bright future because he needs nothing. He lacks nothing. He has everything he could ever want and more than he could ever dream of. And you see, Mephibosheth is no longer a slave trying to earn a spot at the table, but he is called a son of the king. Thought that might get an amen for us. I mean, a son of the king, that he is, amen, that he is welcomed as family and counted as worthy because grace flowed down on him like a tidal wave and moved him from a place with no pasture and no name to a seat at the very king's table. That's awesome. And hey, grace that flows from your king, King Jesus, does the same does the same. Listen to the way that John writes it, and he says this. Sorry, he says this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are, exclamation point. It's what he's made you you are his child. He looks at you and he loves you. He's not looking at you going, man, are you a screw-up or I wish I could change this about them. He's, he's longing for you to walk into the life that he has for you, but not because he's out to get you, but because he's absolutely, ultimately, ruthlessly for you. And he calls you his sons and his daughters and his grace and his mercy See, the grace of King Jesus does not just provide a place at the table for Mephibosheth. It provides a place at the table for you. And in the same way that he's carried to that table, Unable to get there on his own, God goes or David goes and he seeks him out in a dry and desolate land. I want to tell you that King Jesus has sought you out. I want to tell you that it wasn't because you walked home that he invited you, it was because he carried you there and he welcomed you at the king's table, not because you carried a U-Haul full of awesome gifts to give to him, but simply because he wanted you there. He wanted you there, and he made a place for you at his table, and he will for all of eternity. He'll have a place at your table, not for you at the table, not because of the covenant that David had with Jonathan, but because of the covenant that God makes with Jesus Christ to you, saying, you're covered by my blood. You're made perfect by my sacrifice, And when you come to me in faith, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you sons, and I call you daughters, and you can approach me freely because the spirit inside that I've placed inside of you says to you definitively, you're my sons, and you're my daughters, and I'm for you, and I love you. And you see, the cross of Calvary creates a tidal wave of grace that still rages today. And it covers you, it makes you, it shapes you, it defines you, it moves you, it moves you from being rightfully scared of God to enjoying his presence. It moves you from being in absolute desperate need to enjoying his gracious, bountiful provision. It moves you from a posture of trying to earn things from God to receiving his grace and mercy towards you freely given. And friends, it moves you. You're not a servant at the table. You are a son or daughter of the king because he made a way for you. And he did it through the cross of Calvary. It flows down over you. So for a few thousand years, followers of Jesus have been gathering together to, to celebrate the fact around a table that there's a place for them at the, tab- at the table of God. And Jesus, around the table with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new Covenant the new chesed, the new promise that's made in my blood that says there's always a place around my table for you. The only thing you have to do to enter in is admit that you have no business entering in and trust that he has made a way for you to come.